This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 38. In this episode, I will tell stories about very early attempts to walk all the way around the world, more than 14,000 miles around the world in two years or more. In 1873, Jules Verne published his classic adventure novel, Around the World in 80 Days, which captivated imaginations of the possibility of traveling around the world in a given time and the wonders that could be seen. Also at that time, pedestrianism, competitive walking, was in its heyday. Starting around 1875, individuals started to discuss if it would be possible to somehow walk around the world. Wagers were made and attempts began. A standard for walking around the world wasn't established because so much was unknown about the vast world. It wouldn't be until more than 100 years later that some guidelines would be established for those who truly wished to walk around the world. Yes, such an activity was real and still is today. How far is it to walk around the world? Today, the World Runners Association has set a standard that it must be at least 16,308 miles. Early pedestrians were estimating that it would be between 14,000 and 18,000 miles. Today, the fastest known recognized time is 434 days returning to the point of origin. It all started in earnest around 1875. During that year, circumnavigation ultra-walkers emerged along with frauds to try to lay claim as one who had walked around the world and make a living off giving lectures. Most American transcontinental walks of the 1800s involved fraud and fabrication. The same was true for early attempts to circle the globe on foot, but their tales are still fascinating. These multi-part episodes will share the very early stories and make some corrections on false claims that have been published in many books. The earliest known attempt was made more than 230 years ago. During the winter of 1786-87, an English corporal of marines named Lee Denard, an American by birth, started from London with a plan of walking around the globe. He planned to cross Europe and Asia and then be ferried across the Bering Strait to North America, continue to New York, and return to England. $250 was raised for him and he started out. He walked to Hamburg, Germany, to St. Petersburg, Russia, and continued into Siberia as far as the city of Yakunst, where he stopped for the winter of 1787-88. But in January 1788, he was arrested by the order of the Empress of Russia. In half an hour's time, he was carried away under the guard of two soldiers and an officer in a sled for Moscow, without his clothes, money, and papers, and then taken back to St. Petersburg. He was expelled from Russia, sent to Poland with orders not to return to Russia, and thus his walking around the world was foiled. During all that time, he suffered the greatest hardships with sickness, fatigue, and want of rest, so that he was almost reduced to a skeleton. He said it had been a miserable journey, but was very disappointed to have not achieved his daring enterprise. Starting around 1875, there are many announcements made about individuals who would be trying to walk around the world for huge wagers. 
Most of these efforts never started. Some began, but they quickly figured out that they were in way over their heads and quit for various reasons. Others were motivated to fake their attempts to get fame and some fortune. Refer to the article on ultrarunninghistory.com for many additional early attempts not covered in this episode. A famous actor, Mark Grayson, tried in 1875, started at New York City Hall, and went to England, apparently didn't even walk across England and came home. In 1891, John Botsam, a newspaper man from Akron, Ohio, started the first serious attempt to circle the globe on foot. Botsam was an accomplished young newsman. He started his newspaper career at the age of 16. By 1891, at the age of 21, he left a large Akron newspaper to venture out on his own to create his own publication he called An Akron Boy Abroad, Around the World on Foot. It was truly a novel idea. He left on his walk around the world with Harry Mal, who would contribute illustrations to his newspaper stories. On March 24, 1891, they departed from New York City on a steamer to begin their walk in Liverpool, England. Their route wasn't a strict west-to-east, point-to-point walk across the world. From Liverpool, they walked south and west, and then took a ship west to Ireland, where they walked about the country for a while. They then returned to England and went east across Britain to London. They then walked across France and wanted to enter Germany, but were not allowed in because Mao didn't have a passport. Instead, they went to Switzerland. Their pace averaged about 20 miles per day. About two months into their walk, they reached Lucerne, Switzerland and gained the attention of the press. It was reported that the two Americans looked, quote, as fresh, spruce, and spry as if they set out for the first time on their trip around the world. They planned next to go to Italy, Algeria, Egypt, and eventually to China. They admitted to a Swiss editor that the constant walking often became monotonous. About a month later, Mao left Botsam in Milan, Italy to return home. He reported that Botsam was in first-class spirits and health and that he walked from 16 to 20 miles per day. After parting from Mao, Botsam continued to Venice, Italy. He said, At Venice, no one could have been better treated than I was. Everyone shared my respect and gave an assisting hand. There he was able to meet with the king and queen, stayed in the palace with 470 rooms, and claimed to brush his hair with the queen's comb. Watson next bought a third-class steamer passage to take him to Egypt, skipping walking through Eastern Europe. He arrived at Port Said, Egypt, on the Suez Canal. There he expected to find funds waiting for him from his backers, but was disappointed when the money had been misdirected. He was out of money and decided to return to London by sea and said, I found myself once more landed in the great city with two empty pockets. Botsam returned to America on a slow ship to New York, arriving at Akron, Ohio on August 17, 1891, after being away for five months. He planned to continue his trip at a later date. Botsam spent the next few months traveling and giving lectures. He said, One of the objects of my trip was to prove how cheaply the journey could be made without missing any of the objects of interest. 
On January 6, 1892, Botsam left New York City bound for England again to resume his walk, this time alone. He started his walk at Rome, walking 162 miles to Naples. From Naples, I went to Pompeii, buried in the ashes of Vesuvius, and stood on the crater of Mount Vesuvius. From there, he went to Port Said, Egypt. At the two-month mark, he continued his journey where he had left off the previous year. But then, instead of continuing east, he went west to Cairo and not on foot. Clearly, his plan was no longer to truly walk around the world. Instead, he wanted to develop content for his newspaper. He joined up with an artist, James Rickleton. He spent about four weeks in Cairo and one night slept on top of a pyramid. In April 1892, Botsam went to Jerusalem by ship to Jaffa and then joined a caravan to the Holy City. He was critical of the city. When I reached Jerusalem, I thought the whole city would rush forth and take me by the hand and say, we are glad to welcome you to the most holy city. But they did not rush. The moral sentiment of Jerusalem is very low. I saw men gambling on the very steps of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. His journey continued, but mostly by ship. He said he went back to Port Said, where he was arrested for not having a passport. He avoided prison with the help of the American consul. He journeyed down the Suez Canal, across the Red Sea and Indian Ocean, and visited cities in India, Sri Lanka, Singapore, and went to Saigon, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and Japan. On this resumed trip, Botsam didn't do a huge amount of walking at all. Just two months after being in Jerusalem, he arrived in San Francisco on a Chinese steamer. He claimed that he had walked through Egypt, Arabia, India, and part of China and Japan. He didn't. He just visited those places. He next planned to walk across America on the railroad back to his home in Ohio. Yes, I shall walk from here to Ohio every step. I've walked 6,500 miles now, and the rest of the way is easy. He did not even come close to walking that distance. But the press couldn't see through his falsehood. The San Francisco Examiner published a half-page story about his journey, adding some countries that he had never walked in. Watson wears short knee trousers held up by a belt and is shod in heavy highland shoes. The only baggage he has is a small satchel, which he sends ahead of him at given points. The press just couldn't see through the significant exaggerations that they were being fed. Botsam started his transcontinental walk from San Francisco on July 2nd, 1892, and walked to Sacramento in three days and then Reno in 11 days with only a few things in his small satchel. Somehow he made it 600 miles across the blazing hot Nevada and Utah desert in only 20 days. He stated that while going across Nevada, it was often impossible for him to find food or water, and that many nights he slept on the sand and was chased by railroad hobos. He showed up in Salt Lake City, Utah on August 10th and later said he weighed 98 pounds when he arrived. He planned to spend a week resting, but four weeks later he was still in no hurry, visiting many communities, lecturing, and was well out of his way. He finally continued on and miraculously showed up in Colorado two weeks later. He spent a couple weeks lecturing in mining communities. His focus appeared to be more on lecturing than walking. In November and December, he lectured in Nebraska and was still there in the cold winter. 
He finally abandoned his walk in Omaha because of pressing lecture engagements in Ohio, and he took a train home. The Akron paper finally got wise and said his trip around the world was on foot, horseback, muleback, camelback, and by boat and rail. Botsam soon made a successful career lecturing about his walk, and a few people challenged his stories, seeing flaws. He now claimed that he had walked 10,240 miles during his trip and suddenly added Australia and Russia to the destinations he went to. He said he averaged 30 to 35 miles per day and wore out 20 to 25 pair of shoes besides many sandals. In April 1893, Botsam returned to Omaha to complete his walk around the world that had started in New York City. In reality, it was just a lecture tour in Iowa with a manager setting up engagements. I am nearing the end of my journey, and I am glad of it. Although my trip through Iowa has been very pleasant, there is not that novelty about traveling through the United States that there is in the foreign lands, and I will be overjoyed to reach home. Botsam arrived back in Akron, Ohio after two months. He didn't finish the trip around the world to New York City. He retired from walking, married, and started writing a book. He continued lectures about his walk for many years and became editor of the Cleveland Press in 1902. For decades, he was a very influential newsman and citizen of Akron, Ohio. Botsam died in 1958 at the age of 93 in a long-term care facility. He was called the longtime dean of Akron newspapermen. Finally, a truly serious attempt unfolded. In 1893, four young men, including two talented musicians from Germany, set off to walk around the world east to west, starting from their German home. They were led by Gustav Gus Kugel, a 28-year-old tailor. Once the four arrived in New York, the New York Herald made a wager of $4,000 if they could make the trip across America in 171 days. They accepted and left New York City on July 18, 1893. As they passed through Buffalo, New York, after being on the road for three weeks, it was observed, They carried knapsacks and wore broad-brimmed straw hats and were sunburned and pretty tired-looking. At South Bend, Indiana, they were allowed to bunk in the women's ward at the Central Police Station and were guests of the mayor for breakfast. They said that they were walking around the world without money, other than what generous people donated along the route. From San Francisco, they planned to go through China, India, Northern Africa, through Italy, and back to Germany. They earned money by putting on musical concerts along the way. It was reported... While traveling the railroad through Illinois, a half-dozen men jumped on them and tried to steal the musical instruments that they were carrying. They had a desperate fight, won by the Germans who marched off playing See the Conquering Hero Comes. In October, they arrived at Delano, Kansas late at night and walked up to a house. They began to play their brass instruments and woke them all. The people were all surprised and did not know what it meant. They made music until 3 o'clock in the morning, and after they had refreshments, they retired for the rest of the night. It was explained. At the small towns where they stopped, they gave concerts. The entire population flocked to hear the rippling cadences and crashes of harmony. 
A speech would be made about their quest and urgent needs, and Kugel would pass the hat. The company wisely took a southern route during the winter into New Mexico and across Arizona. In New Mexico, Kugel broke away from the rest because the others were more interested in making money giving concerts than finishing within 171 days. At Flagstaff, in December, it was mentioned, Mr. Blokes and Jacoby are the most excellent cornet players, and their work was greatly admired at the World's Fair when they played in the German villages. On January 24, 1894, Kugel was the first to arrive in San Francisco and finished his transcontinental journey in 169 days, 18 hours. The others arrived within a couple weeks. Kugel said the only thing that troubled them along the way was the bad water that they had to drink. In the early part of the country, we slept with the farmers in their barns and outhouses, and in the west, we put up overnight at the railroad stations, or sometimes we slept in freight cars. They planned to leave for China that April. While at San Francisco, Google was offered a $10,000 wager to reverse course and walk easterly around the world accompanied with a 29-year-old German-American, Fred Thorner, originally from Philadelphia. Thorner had been born in Germany and had been living in San Francisco for about six years. The two would not initially be funded, could not beg or borrow along the way, but could raise money by selling photographs of themselves or giving lectures. They could accept room and board. Under no circumstances were they allowed to ride in a vehicle of any sort, nor upon any kind of animal. In plain words, they were bound to foot every inch of the way, except when the use of ships was necessary. Kugel accepted the terms, so he never completed his original east-west global walk with his German buddies. Kugel and Thorner started walking east on June 10, 1894, and were required to report back to City Hall in two years. While going across Nevada, they arrived on the outskirts of a little place called Carlin during a railroad strike. It was getting dark, and the first thing we knew, several men jumped up from the side of the track and made us give an account of where we were going and whence we came. After a while, they turned us back, saying we could not enter the town. After about 100 yards, 15 or 20 shots were fired, and we could hear the bullets buzzing above our heads. We made a break for the brush on the side of the track and lay there until daylight next morning. The strikers thought they were spies. As they walked the railroad tracks, the railroad men all along the way welcomed them and gave them enough to eat. But during the hot desert trek, at times they had to go without food and water for two days or more when they failed to meet railroad men. Of the people, the two observed, We found the Missourians, or at least those who live in the isolated parts of the state, the meanest people we ever heard of. In some places, the boys, women, and even the men abused us as if they were savages throwing stones and sticks at us. They arrived in New York City on December 24, 1894, after a trip of a little more than six months. The two sailed for Europe on January 3, 1895, to continue their walk in Portugal, then head through Spain. On January 12, 1895, their ship stopped in England. They showed off a collection of rattles from more than 200 snakes that they had killed during their journey across America. They also displayed a notebook containing postal stamps from every town that they had passed through in America with autographs of mayors and governors. One year into their walk, 
Kugel and Tharner arrived at Dresden, Germany, far north of their originally planned route. They then went to Munich and Berlin. They visited the American consulate in Berlin, where the consul argued strongly to Thorner against entering Russia because of his American citizenship, but he received papers to let him go into Russia. Three months later in September, they were making their way across the Alps over St. Gotthard Pass that connected northern and southern Switzerland. They pitched their camp under the lee of a projecting crag where the snow was 45 feet deep. While partaking of a scant meal, they were surprised by the sudden appearance of a young man who announced that he also was a globetrotter. He was Harry Stupp Jr., a 21-year-old German student. He also was walking around the world under a wager with the Antwerp Athletic Club. Stupp was required to circle the globe one month quicker than Kugel and Thorner and had started in Munich. Since they were going the same direction, they decided to journey together to San Francisco. They had hoped to cross Russia and pass through Siberia, but the latter was snowbound and would have been unpassable even if they had succeeded in getting into Russia. The Russians had been weary about granting passports to globetrotters and absolutely refused to allow the young Germans to cross the border under any pretext. They had to change their route to go through Romania. In Budapest, Romania, Thorner became seriously ill and lay in a hospital for about two months. Kugel and Stupp continued on. They headed towards Turkey. At Constantinople, today's Istanbul, they saw 400 Armenians massacred and another 800 killed at another city. This tragic event was part of the Hamidian massacres. It was estimated from 1894 to 96 that up to 300,000 people were killed, resulting in 50,000 orphan children during the collapsing Ottoman Empire. Because of the violence, they aborted their travel through Turkey and took a boat all the way across the Black Sea to present-day Georgia. They then traveled by foot through the Caucasus Mountains and arrived at the Caspian Sea. Kugel and Stupp next took a boat to Persia, today's Iran. They were worried about being in Persia because an American cyclist had been recently brutally murdered. But they have been guaranteed military protection and hope to make the passage in safely. They are well armed though, so if the worst comes, they will not be entirely handicapped. Instead of going through Afghanistan, they headed south and then walked across Pakistan into India. They went to Bombay and crossed India toward Calcutta. While in India, they had to sleep on treetops with tigers prowling around all night long. Thorner recovered, traveled back to Italy, and took a steamer all the way to Egypt in late December 1895. He steamed for Calcutta in eastern India and linked back up with the others. Thus, Thorner had to skip thousands of miles. The three feared going through China because of recent missionary outrages and thus proceeded through Siam, today's Thailand. In Siam, they encountered the Black Plague and fled from it taking a ship to Formosa, today's Taiwan, and then to Hong Kong. Thus, their walk through Asia finished in Thailand, likely at Bangkok. 
Leaving Hong Kong, they lost no time in striking out for Yokohama, Japan, where Thorner succeeded in boarding the steamer Peru just as she was leaving for America. Kugel and Stupp missed the ship. On June 5, 1896, Thorner arrived in San Francisco without Kugel and Stupp. He finished with five days to spare of the two-year deadline, but the wager was still lost. Kugel returned about July 1st. One of the stipulations of the wager was that Kugel and Thorner had to stick together. Thorner made no mention of being separated because of his sickness and instead said that they had become separated trying to go through Siberia where he was not allowed to go with Kugel. He said that he instead went through India, which he didn't, and untruthfully claimed that he had walked the entire trip. Kugel made quick plans to do another transcontinental walk back to New York, but was delayed after being assaulted and nearly murdered in Merced, California. But Kugel recovered and started his trip to New York trying to break a record of 92 days. He said he walked solo with a canteen, carried very little, stopped to lecture in cities, and carried books that were stamped along the route by mayors which always took a lot of time. In analyzing Kugel's transcontinental walk of about 113 days, it is pretty obvious that it was fraudulent for stretches, especially making an impossible crossing of the Sierra and the sparsely settled Nevada desert solo in the heat of the summer at a pace of about 50 miles per day. Very few city newspapers had stories about him walking into and out of their cities. If this transcontinental trip included falsehood, were there huge portions of his walk around the world that were also false? Stupp continued his own walk around the world, claiming to cross America and then on November 2nd, 1896 arrived in London. Thus far he had worn out 12 pairs of boots. Stupp finished circling the world and arrived back at Munich on December 12th, 1896. His trip had taken 16 months and 12 days, or a little less than 500 days. Did Kugel and Stupp really walk around the world? Clearly not all the way. They skipped by many countries. The details and evidence left behind and sparse news coverage indicates that some of it was likely fraudulent. But of all the early claims of walking around the world, their claim left the most convincing evidence for being fairly legitimate given the world circumstances of the time. In 1901, the Pittsburgh Press reported that Kugel was on his sixth trip around the world. It counted some partial trips, but did mention that he walked around the world again in 1899 to 1900 in 18 months in an easterly direction. No news coverage at all could be found for that trip. For this final trip, it was claimed that he headed west, starting from Germany and stopped in many cities to lecture. He stated that this trip would bring him up to 61,140 walking miles around the world, a world's champion record. That year he was seen in Ohio and New York on a bicycle, claiming that he was riding around the world for the fourth time. In 1934, on Kugel's 75th birthday, he was in St. Louis, Missouri, where he was interviewed. The article mentioned that he had traveled more than 200,000 miles on his jaunts around the world. Gustav Kugel died in 1957 at the age of 87 in Illinois. 
Next is the bizarre tale of a walk around the world that had no coverage during the walk and was clearly fake. But it is a fun tale. C.B. Rendell, a young former cadet at West Point, New York, claimed he walked around the world in two years and ten days. He gave this story. He set out from Boston, stark naked, burning his clothes on the beach. After giving some swimming lessons, he obtained a dollar to buy some newspapers, which he made into clothes. Then he began his walk east to west, earning more money for better clothes. Randall claimed that once on the west coast, he took a boat to Japan, where he was appointed a lieutenant in the Japanese army so that he might have the right to go with soldiers into China. He served with the army for three months, engaging in 12 different battles where he's received several bullet and bayonet wounds while fighting. He walked through India 3,200 miles and was arrested as a suspected spy and detained for two months. In Pakistan, he was robbed and stripped of his coat and shirt by 50 armed thieves. He said a friend, Sir William Hudson, who provided him an escort of 100 men to walk to Persia. There, he caused great astonishment because even beggars rode on horseback, but this white man walked. The Shah wished to see such an extraordinary individual and invited him to the imperial palace at Tehran. From there, he went through Armenia with an escort of 500 soldiers. The Turks put him in prison as a dangerous character where he sat for four months. From there, his walk through Europe was child's play and he took a steamer from Liverpool back to his starting point in Boston. (laughs) While away, on three occasions, obituary notices for him were published in newspapers, or so he said. Another account said he walked 1,400 miles in Australia. Like the internet, I guess if you can get it published in a newspaper, it must be true. Around the world I've searched for you. Attempts to walk around the world continued. In the early 1800s, a popular allegory tale included this statement. If you could walk all around the world, it would be by putting one foot in front of the other. Your whole life will be made up of one little moment after another. No more will I go all around the world, for I have found my world in Stay tuned for the next episode for more stories about walking around the world. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.